encourage you to grab your Bibles. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. And today I want to talk about change. Uh, We're going to talk about change this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul, uh, I'm going to read a really big section of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, kind of like the whole second half of the chapter, to to be honest. And Paul, in typical Pauline fashion uses lots and lots and lots of words to say what Jesus essentially says in a sentence. Um, So we're going to look at Paul's lots and lots and lots of words, and then we'll visit Jesus' one sentence. Uh, That's what we'll do. And this morning, though, I think think it's all really important for us because I want to talk about, like I said, I want to talk about change, but I want to talk specifically about the inevitability of change to either crush us or renew us. Anyone experience this? Change can either crush us or renew us, and the invitation this morning is that we might embrace change in a way that leads to renewal. Uh, So let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35. Paul says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to your life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, just, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He is determined. And to each kind of seed, He gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. And fish have another. No, duh, right? Uh, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is, is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, sorry, the last man, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The last man, Adam, just so you know, like if you, is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. You can use that like a cheat code if you want. Um, The last man being Adam. The spiritual, uh, verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as it is with the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a great mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now here's Jesus, who has the spiritual gift of brevity. John 12, 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you would indeed bless this word to us. May it be your word for each one of us this morning. May we hear it and receive it. Make our hearts like good soil. Lord, we pray that what we have not, you would give us. And what we are not, would you make us through your life-giving and powerful Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen. Recently, I was talking with a lady from our church who was telling the story of growing up. And her growing up life was in a loving family environment who loved her and encouraged her and supported her in some ways. But it wasn't a perfect home environment. Anyone relate? And so she grew up in this home environment where she actually learned uh, over time. It was the kind of environment where, uh, you know, children were best seen but not heard. It was the kind of environment where opinions and preferences and desires and, you know, those kinds of things from children weren't to be shared. In fact, they were often suppressed. And when they were shared, they were often quickly dismissed as being wrong or irrelevant. And so what kind of a message do you imagine this person grew up in their teenage years believing and understanding about themselves? You guessed it. I'm not worth it. Whatever it might be. My opinions aren't worth sharing. And so, as a coping mechanism, because when they did open up and when they did share, their opinions would be so slammed and shut down that they realized it's not safe for me to actually be open and share those things. So, when uh, basically what they learned was, in order for me to survive and get through life, I need to withdraw, isolate, withhold, and insulate. Anyone relate to that? Sound familiar? uh, This is quite a common thing. What's been remarkable, though, is that later in life, as she's been doing some work on this, and God's been graciously transforming her as she works with the Spirit and the work of the Spirit, she's been opening up increasingly. She's been starting to share her thoughts and her feelings and sharing her opinions and finding not only are those embraced by a loving God who sees her and declares her as so worth it, but actually she's hearing from her friends and family, those around her, that actually they really appreciate and value the things that she has to say and the the things that she's offering. And and so she's finding this transforming work and she's opening up more and more. It's like this full transformation has happened. She's come out of her shell. Her personality has shifted and changed. She's been completely transformed. It's this beautiful, like a whole new life coming into being. And it's amazing because she said for years and years and years, I knew that this was what God wanted for me, that this was the kind of change God wanted to bring about, but I wasn't ready to go there yet, and so I fought it, and I resisted it, 
And I knew that that was unhealthy and it wasn't good for me, but I I just was too afraid. The thought of change was too unnerving and unsettling that I couldn't actually kind of let go of those things and move into this change and transformation that God wanted to bring about, you know? So it was, and and because the truth is we know that change is scary, right? It can be really scary. And so we'd rather almost get stuck and stay settled, even though we know it's not good or healthy for us, We'd rather stay in those places rather than step into the unknown sometimes of change. Even though we know that can be not only unhealthy for us, it can actually be really destructive, even destroying us. And change can seem to be so scary, so frightening, um, and so much work that actually it's just easier to stay, right? It's just easier to opt out. And we do this in big ways. People, we see it all the time, right? We all kind of do in big ways like eating disorders or other kind of disorders or addictions or whatever it might be. But we also do it in small ways, don't we? Where all of a sudden, maybe we're holding a grudge, we're withholding forgiveness. In really big ways and in really small ways, we often want to nurse our grudge. We'd rather nurse our unforgiveness or, or nurse our addiction. And we know that life kind of stretches and it grows and expands and it invites us into that change. But boy, it's not easy. And I'm not sure I really want to go there because change isn't easy. Change can feel like death at times, can't it? No, the truth is change is death in a lot of ways. And you can resist change. Many of us do. Um, And when we do, our resistance to change can and more likely will start to distort and deform your life. But there's also this beautiful invitation that comes with change, you know, to align ourselves and and step into the flow of change and the movement that God wants to bring into our lives. And 1 Corinthians 15 speaks to that. It's all about change, right? It's about this cosmic existential and ultimate change, but it's wrapped up, as Paul says, in the middle of this section. It's wrapped up as a mystery. Do you see it? He says right in the middle there, in verse 51, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We will all be changed. Sleep is kind of like a metaphor for death, by the way. That's like, he's, he's using the metaphor of sleep to talk about death. He's saying we won't all die and be buried, but we will all be changed. And what's Paul saying here? He's, he's saying that, that we won't all die, but we will all, and go through the, the metamorphosis of what resurrection life is, but we will all, when the Lord comes back, we will all be changed. And so we'll come to that and give a little bit more on that in a second. In, in a second. But this is why I've titled this message this morning, There Will Be Change. Because if you want one word to sum up what the Christian life is all about in one word, I'd say it's change. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you, like, write that down somewhere really big. You know, like, really big. Just that one word. Because that's like, that's like the one word, I think, description of what it means to be a Christian. What is it like to be a follower of Jesus? The answer is, there will be change. And what Paul's saying, I think, in 1 Corinthians is that, Though change is inevitable, something altogether different happened on Easter morning than what a lot of the Corinthians would have been expecting and a lot of what other people are expecting. You know, there's this deeper and greater invitation for followers of Jesus. What he's saying is that what happened to Jesus will happen to us. And the question is, well, what was it that happened to Jesus? Do we fully understand it? Do we have that right? And this is like a question that Paul poses almost... um, rhetorically you know where he says what happened to Jesus that will ultimately happen to us 
because the Corinthians had a certain understanding that he was trying to get underneath and unpick a little bit for them. They had an understanding of what, 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 uh, what maybe is more reflected of, um, you remember that movie Aladdin? You know, Robin Williams' depiction of genie in the movie Aladdin? You know, and Aladdin gets to grant these wishes and there's like three rules that he has to follow. Do you remember them? Rule number one was he can't kill anybody, right? Rule number two was that you can't make people fall in love. And rule number three, do you remember what rule number three was? You can't, you can't, well, that's a good guess. You can't wish for more wishes. No, you can't bring people back from the dead. You remember this? This is the picture um, from, that, from that film. And he's like, he enacts it. He's like, I've done it before. It's not a good idea. Trust me on this one. Like, it's not a pretty thing. Like, we don't want to do this. And he turns into this little monster kind of thing. You know, he's like, no, nah, let's not do that. Um, and, 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 and so what's going on here? Like, basically, if, if, if you're a Christian, you're like, why can't you bring people back from the dead? Isn't that what happened on Easter? Isn't that what Jesus did on Easter? Um, well, well, not really. Because what the Corinthians would have understood when Paul was writing this to them was more in the, along the lines of resuscitation as depicted by Aladdin, you know? Resuscitation is essentially, our, you know, the old life kind of bring brought back from the dead, you know? It would be like, uh, you, know, you know, like a dead corpse kind of being raised to life again. It's not a pretty sight. A decomposed, disgusting corpse resuscitated. Not a pretty picture, right? But this is kind of what was playing in the back of their minds as the Corinthians, where they're going, well, wait, wait a second, because that was their framework, that was their worldview and understanding. And, 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 and so they, they didn't like it when Paul's talking about, wait a second, there'll be change and come back to life and newness of life and what does all this mean? And, and, and so they're, they're kind of trying to understand it. And so when Paul says that Jesus will, you know, like he resurrected, will bring your dead body back to life, they're like, ooh, that's disgusting. I'm not sure if I want that. You know what I mean? And so they're like, why would you want that? And the second question is, I guess, um, in light of all of them, was like, what, 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 what are you actually trying to say then, Paul? Help me understand this. They had no idea that what Paul was talking about was not resuscitation. He was talking about resurrection. And there was something completely different. Easter morning introduced something completely different because resurrection is not the dead coming back to life but it's the birth of something entirely new and different. That's what resurrection is all about. And this is why they said to Paul, well, what kind of body would someone dead come back to life with? And, and, and it makes no sense to them. You know, they're trying to understand, what do I do with this? And Paul says, well, remember, I'm not talking about resuscitation. I'm not talking about your physical dead body being raised up again. I'm talking about something entirely new being birthed and coming alive, something entirely different. What Paul is talking about is a transformation. And in order to try and explain this a little bit more clearly, he uses the defining metaphor of a seed and a tree. Did you pick up on that? Powerful metaphor. Seed and a tree. See, there's a picture of a seed here in, in someone's hand. And the metaphor goes something like this. You know, like for Jesus, when he uses this metaphor, he says, a seed falls to the ground and it dies and it when it dies, it produces many seeds, you know, and it grows up and something big and beautiful and fruitful and productive comes out of it, something new and different. And so the idea we get is that when a seed is buried, actually, we don't bury seeds, do we? We plant seeds, right? When a seed is planted, something different happens. And, and, and so Paul picks up this metaphor and in a very similar way says, when it feels like our bodies and our lives have been buried or planted, that they 
grow up into something new and different. A transformation takes place. And it grows, and like Jesus says, it actually bears multiple fruit, multiple new seeds, and it offers shade and fruit and life to all those around it. It becomes something altogether different, but still within its same kind. It's still organic, it's still, you know, organic life, but a different kind of life. And, and Paul takes this metaphor, and, and this is his main point, I think. Um, and he uses it to talk about that, you know, uh, in the future. Now, let's, let's imagine, let's just imagine wiping your mind completely of any science lessons or classes where you learned what happens to a seed that gets planted. Like, so just, you know, you're 35 years, no one's ever explained this concept to you before. You've never witnessed it or seen it. If I was to stand up here today, and this is the first time that you'd ever heard about this, and I said, you see that seed in someone's hand? Well, if you plant it in the, in the ground, then after a few years, and you take care of it, after a few years, it'll end up looking like this tree. You would be like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. You're insane, right? Like, the, it, like you look at that on the left, and you go, that becomes that, that no right that's ridiculous it's something entirely different a transformation has taken place this is the kind of image and metaphor that paul is using to try and explain to the corinthians what's happening in resurrection and why it's so different than resuscitation do you get it and so he says in fact, the only thing that we can kind of really compare it to and in our own minds try and make sense of is Jesus' resurrection himself. Because for Jesus, he was laid in the ground, he was, he was buried, he died, and then he came back to life and it was unexpected. It was so unexpected that they didn't believe him. Just like if you didn't know what happens to a seed, you wouldn't believe that it becomes a tree. They didn't believe it either. In fact, Jesus showed up and he was so different they didn't even recognize him at first. You remember that? They thought he was a gardener outside the empty tomb. And they're like, who, you know, they thought he was, they didn't even recognize him. Those walking on the, on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him. You know, they just didn't even see it. Now with Jesus, he came back from the dead, but he wasn't in a way that they expected. He was resurrected, but he still was kind of similar in some ways. That He still ate, just like we eat. He still walked, like we walk, and he, he spoke, like we speak. He was physically present. They were able to touch him and you know, put his finger, Thomas, you know, put his finger in his hand, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, he was physically present, and he, and he actually told them what to do. But um, he was also able to walk through walls, just like appear. They're all gathered in a room. All the doors and windows are closed because they're afraid, and Jesus is there, and he's like, hey, peace be with you. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's like, I don't think that's an exaggeration. That's kind of what happened. And then after, on the road to Emmaus, they, they don't know who he is. And he gets to the end of the, the journey. They invite him in for a meal. He comes in. He breaks bread. And they, it's like their eyes are open. They understand, this is Jesus. This whole time, we're not our hearts burning on the road. And he disappears. He's gone. So in some ways, he's like the same, same in kind, but altogether different and new. It's the closest thing we can look at to understand what we mean when we talk about resurrection and 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 then like he, he he was able to disappear and um he was also able to like fly to heaven you know like he flew to heaven that's what the ascension is i like the technical terms of fly to heaven better um but paul says our bodies will be the same in that it's organic but it's going to be completely different he actually has you know these comparisons if you look in verses 42 through 44 paul gives these these comparisons he says the transformation 
for you and I will be, we will feel like this. You will change from perishable to imperishable. That is, our bodies will eventually not wear down and wear out and break down. We'll go instead from dishonor to glory. No more shame. Our bodies won't be, we won't carry those scars of shame anymore. We'll go from weakness to power. You know, and that our, our body, we won't lack the willpower or an emotional energy or the physical energy to do what's right. To, you know, our bodies will go from natural to spiritual. That is like from dust to divinity, natural to spiritual. And the point in all of this, the point of the resurrection life is that it's a different life. It's new and it's unexpected. So there's two kinds of life, right? Paul unpicks the idea that the Corinthians had this idea of a resuscitated life. And he's like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something completely new, completely different. It's the birth of something new. It's transformed life. It's the life of resurrected, of the resurrection life. And, and it's, uh, so it's not like the restoration life, you know. You might think, oh, you know, uh, resurrection life is like you thought, we, we, we all know what that kind of, oh, sorry, resuscitated life. We kind of we know what that feels like at times when maybe you had that pitch meeting at work and you lost that account and that sales job and you're like, oh no, now my whole job's on the line. I may not get, be able to keep my job and, and, and you're afraid. And for some reason, you do manage to keep your job and things kind of get better and they improve and you carry on. You're like, oh, thank goodness this worked out. You know, that's like resuscitated life. Or maybe, maybe that relationship that you have that just completely breaks down and, and it's like on the, on the on the brink of complete cutoff, you know, and it's like, oh, this is not looking good at all. And so you get some help and you see a therapist and you get some support and all of a sudden you can start communicating again and things start improving and moving towards, you know, a better thing. You're like, oh, this is good. It feels amazing. It's, it's, but it's not resurrected life. It's resuscitated life. You see? The, you see? Uh, and instead, Jesus on Easter morning opened up a completely new possibility for us. And that is of resurrected life. And it's not a restoration of our old life. It's not just that kind of being picked up and shined off and cleaned up a little bit and carry on. No, no, no. It's a radically new life. What does he mean by that? Story time. Who's read this book before? The Very Hungry Caterpillar. It's a classic. And a special shout out to my good friend Zinnia Beck for the loan of her book. Thank you, Zinnia legend uh the very hungry caterpillar see this is incentivizing sitting in the front row people so you can see the pictures you know keep that in mind for future weeks the story begins by saying one day in the light of the moon a little egg lay on a leaf and then one sunday morning the warm sun came up and pop out of the egg came a tiny and very hungry caterpillar. Just like all of us, we come into life hungry, right? Not hungry for physical food necessarily, but we have a deep longing inside of each of us. We all come hungry, looking for the things that will satisfy and feed our souls. And so then it says, he started to look for some food. Are you ready? You might need to join in on this bit. It says, on Monday... He ate through one apple, but he was still hungry. On Tuesday, he ate through two pears, but he was still... Are you catching on? On Thursday, uh, where are we up to? On Wednesday, 
He ate through three plums, but was still hungry. On Thursday, he ate through four strawberries, but he was... On Friday, he ate through five oranges, but... And then it was the weekend. You see it? On Saturday, he ate through... One piece of chocolate cake, one ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one lollipop, one piece of cherry pie, one sausage, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. And that night, had a stomach ache. He was in pain. He'd overindulged. And so on Sunday, he went to church and ate a salad, and he felt much better. Told you, this is our story, friends. Now he wasn't hungry anymore. And he wasn't a little caterpillar anymore. He was a big fella. He built a small house called a cocoon around himself, stayed inside for more than two weeks. Then he nibbled a hole in the cocoon, pushed his way out, and he was a beautiful butterfly. And then you get all parents do this, right? <laughs> hey? There you go. I think this, I mean, this book, it beautifully captures the different stages of life, doesn't it? It, it? it maps our life story in so many different ways. We're all born into life with these hungers built into us, a yearning for those things that will meet our deepest needs and fill our souls. And so just like the caterpillar, we go out finding things that might feed that and we eat our way through different food all the time, all these different ways, trying to meet and fulfill these needs. And we feed on these things that feed our souls. They help us grow. They help us shape our persons. And sometimes they become all too much. We've overindulged. We've eaten too much. And we experience the pain and the angst and the turmoil and the suffering that goes with that, right? And there's some of that that's, that's really bad and unhealthy, but there's also some of that that's actually quite okay, and it causes us to pull back from life and to reassess and reevaluate life and its priorities a little bit. And in those moments where we kind of instinctively retreat, it's not a sign of weakness or defeat, no, we're, we're cocooning ourselves up to kind of reflect and reassess our choices and our environment and the circumstances until we are ready to face the world again metamorphosized or transformed and this is exactly i think what paul is talking about this little book is exactly what paul is talking about i think in first corinthians 15 that the resurrected life is all about metamorphosis it's about transformation see life is all about change the christian life though is specifically about transformation spiritual transformation and there's a flow of change and to change. You can block it and resist it and fight it. You can eat your way through life and know that it's time to change, time for metamorphosis. Know that it's time for change or it's time to not. But you know, with all the pain and all the ache and all the things and when you get stuck there, it's easy to then kind of give up and instead of cocooning in order to transform, you can circle back around and start all over again. And if we do that, then too often I think we end up getting stuck, we get deformed. But instead, the invitation is to say yes to the transformation that's off, on offer 
and you can say yes to the change. And this, 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 is what, this is what we look at, and this is actually the season that we celebrate that we're in right now in the, in the church calendar, this season of Eastertide. And this is our first time ever doing a teaching series that's linked to Eastertide. It's this season in the church calendar after Easter where we've celebrated the death and the resurrection of Jesus on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Then there's this period called Eastertide. It's a period of 40 days before the ascension, and then 10 more days after the ascension until Pentecost. It's in that season of Eastertide, this waiting of trying to figure it out, um, what's actually going on. And one of the things I love about the church calendar and why we, we're kind of leaning into it this year in particular is that it helps us to live each, you know, every year the church calendar invites us to live what's called the Pascal Mystery. Pascal meaning this term that's referred to, referring to Easter, or the mystery of Easter. It's a way to like embody and live into the cycle of Easter over and over again. So I want to share with you this mystery of Pascal, uh, mystery, this, this mystery of Christ's journey uh, through Easter from, from the life and teachings of Jesus. And we can see that there's actually five clear and distinct moments of change, a cycle of change, if you will. And I've taken these directly from Ronald Rollheiser's book, The Holy Longing, uh, and wanted to just kind of share this with you this morning. Here he says are the five moments. He says, Good Friday, which is all about loss. That's the loss moment. That's the death. Then Easter Sunday is about the new life. That's the resurrection moment, right? The 40 days. This is Easter tide. This is what we're in right now. This is that readjustment to the new and grieving the old. You see how this is a cycle of change? Uh, number four is the ascension. That's the letting go, where we release and we actually just completely let go of the old so that Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, we can receive that new spirit and be empowered and enabled to live more fully into the newness that God is bringing. Pentecost is about receiving. And he, and he goes on and actually just like a couple of paragraphs later, he puts it in more common language that's like, but you can see how it parallels the different events of the Easter journey from Good Friday through Pentecost. He puts it in this common language, the five steps like this. He says, name your deaths. That's Good Friday, right? Claim your births. That's Easter Sunday. Grieve what you have lost and adjust to the new reality. This is Easter tide, folks. Welcome. <laughs> Grieve what you have lost and adjust to the new reality. Do not cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you its blessing. That's the fourth step. And the fifth one is, accept the spirit of the life that you are, in fact, living. Accept the spirit of the, of the life that you are, in fact, living. Now, this isn't a cycle. If any of you are looking at that and going, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But you all recognize pretty quickly, I'm sure, that this isn't a cycle. We all just live once or necessarily even once a year when Easter rolls around, right? This is the cycle we all live in regularly. In fact, Jesus says you will die many deaths, even daily deaths, where you have to die daily, and many different various rising Pentecosts in our lives. The Pascal mystery really is like a cycle of change. It's the secret to life, I think, in the kingdom of God. And so if you're writing this down or taking a picture or whatever, I encourage you to go back and spend some time on it later. You'll see how ultimately your maturity in Christ, your growth in Christ's likeness, and, and even your happiness in life in a lot of ways depends on properly going through these stages with Jesus over and over and over again. Now, for Rollheiser, he gives 
a number of examples in his book. And, and they're really, really good and helpful examples. But I want to read just one for you. It's a bit of a longer one. And uh, he has this one example that, you know, in this room, it may, not, uh, it may not hit this room like entirely 100%. And I did that on purpose because while it'll hit a few of you, um, I think it'll show us really practically and helpfully what this, what, what this means and looks like in, in normal life without it being too on the nose. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so let me read to you what he writes. He says, Imagine this scenario. You wake up one morning, look at your calendar, and come to the unwelcome realization that it is your 70th birthday. You are 70 years old. At 70, in terms of this life, you are no longer a young person. And all the cosmetics, exercise, plastic surgery, tummy tucks, and positive attitude in the world cannot change that. Your youth is dead. But you are not dead. You look at yourself in the mirror and see they're a very vibrant person, despite the physical limitations of age. And in fact, you are richer now, full of a deeper life than when you were 20 or 40 or 60. But you are alive as a 70-year-old, not as a 20-year-old. Pascally, meaning the Pascal mystery we were just talking about, in terms of your youth, this is your status. And he unpacks this. Good Friday has already happened. Your youth has died. Resurrection too has happened. For you have already received the life of a 70-year-old. A new life. Different from and richer than the life of a 20-year-old. And now you have a choice. You can refuse to grieve and let go of your lost youth. And like Mary Magdalene on Easter morning, trying to cling to a Jesus she once knew, you can try to hold on to your youth. If you do that, you'll be blocking ascension and you will be an unhappy, fearful, and frustrated 70-year-old. Because you will be trying to live your life with someone else's spirit. A schizophrenic endeavor at best, he says. Pentecost cannot happen for you and you will daily grow more fearful and unhappy about aging. However, should you let your youth ascend, should you be able to say, it was good to be 20, good to be 30, good to be 40 and 50 and 60, but it's even better to be 70, then Pentecost will happen. You will receive the Spirit for the life that you are already in fact living, the life of a 70-year-old, which is a different spirit than for somebody who is 20. Some of the happiest people in the world are 70 years old, and some of the unhappiest people in the world are that age. The difference is not who, in, uh, who has kept himself or herself the slimmest and most youthful looking, but in Pentecost. The happy 70-year-old is a woman or a man who has received the Spirit for someone that age. That Spirit, which Scripture says, is given to each of us in a most particular way for each particular circumstance in life. It's interesting in this context to note that the ancient Egyptians used to mummify their dead, soaking dead bodies in formaldehyde so as to somehow keep them intact forever. As an image, this is the antithesis of the Pascal mystery. The Christian idea is to let go, to let nature take its course, to trust that the God who once gave life will now give it in an even deeper way. If I am 70, but trying through every technique and cosmetic known to, to preserve, my, preserve my youth, I am in my own way attempting to mummify my body. The Pascal mystery should set us free from that kind of unhappiness. It's an important word for us, right? 
You see how it maps beautifully the cycle of change, the Pascal mystery of what it looks like? And I use this example of age because for some of us, it doesn't ring true, but for others of us, it comes really close to the point. I mean, you might be 35 and you're sitting here thinking like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not 21 anymore. Have you grieved that? Have you let that go? Or are you trying to live like the store in the US that's called like Forever 21? You're trying to live in like that never, never land, right? Uh, you, you know, like, and trying to stay there forever. I mean, have you grieved that and let it go? I don't know about you, but I want to accept the spirit of the age that I'm at. And I want to make my life about giving to other people because as you age and grow through life, that's the trajectory. It becomes less about receiving and consuming and more about giving and blessing as you age and as you go. And so maybe you're sitting here in church and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm in my mid to late 20s, mid 20s, and, uh, you know, I don't have anything, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe sign up and lead some things when I get to 50 or 60 because by then I should have something to contribute, right? I'm like, well, maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe it's time to like, actually, you've, you've got something to give right now. And have you grieved the fact that you're not a child anymore? Have you grieved that? And have you embraced the spirit for the age that you are now at? And not always showing up to receive, but actually showing up now with something to give. Have you gone through that process? I mean, this, isn't, this, is, this, this happens all across life, right? In every different arena. This is like for those of you who are married, right? This is like we all start out with that beautiful honeymoon phase. And we celebrated William and Alice's wedding yesterday. And I'm sure they're off on their honeymoon. It's going to be fantastic. But for others of us who have been married for 20 years, not 20 minutes, we know that's a whole different beast, being married for 20 years. It's a different beast, right? Than being married. You, you know it, right? It's a whole different thing. Have you, and so for those of you who've been married 20 years, have you grieved the fact that you've not been married for two years or 20 minutes, you know, 20 minutes, whatever it might be, and accepted what is, what this is? See, this is all of life, and this is what we're invited to during this season is to step into Jesus' life flow of change, a flow of transformation, of going from death to resurrection, to grieving and letting go and releasing those things and then receiving the spirit of whatever Jesus has for us that's new. You know, the final verse that Paul leaves us with in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And he gives, after this long chapter of trying to explain and unpack resurrection life, you know, Paul comes down with these final words, and he's, he's talking, and he says, he says, the work that you're doing now in this life is not in vain. Just because resurrection life and the total metamorphosis that is to come is going to be completely new and entirely different, that doesn't mean that the work and the journey towards following Jesus now is null and void. No, he says it's not in vain. It's valid. You're moving increasingly towards that renewal that God is wanting to bring about now. And so he gives that encouragement. It's almost like this inspiration to keep doing the work. Stand firm. Keep persevering. Even when it's hard and difficult, don't give up. Press in. Keep following. Keep going. It's worth it. The work is worth it. It is not in 
vain. And so if you find yourself going, man, change is hard and you're struggling and maybe you come to church over and over and over again, you keep confessing up the front here, you come seeking people to pray with you and for you and, and all of that and it feels like you, you, it's the same thing over and over and over again. It just doesn't seem to shift, doesn't seem to change. Here's my encouragement for you, friends. That work is not in vain. It's not a waste. It's worth it. Keep going. Keep pursuing. That work is not in vain. You know, if, you've, if you have that area in your life that you're afraid to open up and go into, but you just sense the Holy Spirit this morning is kind of putting His finger on it and saying, hey, I want to bring newness of life here. There's some dead things in this little hidden closet inside your soul. And it's time to clean house. And maybe you're so afraid because that's been locked up for a long, long time. And so you're, you're so afraid because you're not even entirely sure what's in there anymore because you've been too afraid to even go there yourself, let alone let God into it. Well, God knows. And, and, and He wants to address it and He wants to bring life. It's, the work is not in vain. It will be worth it. Trust me. It, the writer of Hebrews says that it was for the joy that was set before Him that Jesus went to the cross. You know, it was the joy that was set before him that Jesus started this whole Pascal mystery, the joy of Good Friday, death, resurrection, spending time with his disciples, ascension, and then the Spirit coming. All of that was the joy that was before him, going before us like a good forerunner, knowing that we've been invited into that same mystery and come into that same transformation over and over again. The work is worth it. It's not in vain. And so as we come to close, I invite the team, worship team to come, and I invite you all to stand with me as we pray, if that's all right. Because the, the church practices, and actually, you might not know this, but every time we come to the Lord's table and we celebrate communion on a Sunday, that when you receive communion, you walk forward and you put your hands out and you receive those elements for communion, that actually you're receiving this mystery in your own body. This, this resurrection, this death and resurrection, you're proclaiming, as Paul says, you're proclaiming this mystery of Jesus' death and resurrection until He comes. You're proclaiming this mystery, that Jesus is going through all of this and, 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 and you're actually taking it into your body. You're embodying it, this renewal work and, and, and all of this. And, and, and I'm stepping into this as well. I mean, we're all stepping into this change, this transformation in our lives over and over and over again. And we know that ultimately one day, Jesus will do it all. Like ultimately, it will all be done. Our bodies will be raised up from the ground where they've been planted and they will be, all will be new and all will be well. But until then, there is this renewal that's happening within us. And so I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one of us here this morning that, God, you would grace us and grant us the courage that we would stand firm in the faith of Jesus Christ to be able to step into our own change, to be able to step into those things that you're, you're calling and inviting us to change, even if it feels really hard. And I always think it's interesting, Lord, how Paul uses this word at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, to stand firm, to be immovable when, he, when it comes to talking about all this change. Because we know that change is so unsettling and yet we know this deeper truth that there's something about when we go through the change, Jesus, your form of it, in your flow, there's something that's really stabilizing and peaceful about it. And so I pray that blessing over 
each one of us now, that that, that, that stabilizing and freeing work would bring great peace. I pray that you would help us to name our deaths, to claim our births, to grieve what we've lost and adjust to the new reality. God, to that we wouldn't let that we'd be able to let go and not cling to the old and in together accept the life that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray.